Hello and welcome to the sixth and final compilation of Silence, swooping over the last quarter year of episodes to bring you the best sound bites of my podcast, which has been running weekly for a whole year now. On Silence, women in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, get really honest about surviving and thriving in what often feels like a man's world. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, originally a mechanical engineer myself, and often the odd one out as a dark-skinned female in engineering. The guests you've heard from over the last six days are true Wonder Women in STEM, and as with all episodes, I deliberately keep them anonymous so that we can all enjoy some honesty and openness and a little bit of vulnerability. This show is not about labels, accolade, accomplishments, that stuff can be intimidating and distracting. It's about the wisdom gained from the experiences of some incredibly unique and trailblazing women who are tackling the issues around gender, diversity, and inclusivity head on. The last year of silence has been so inspiring. Thank you all for joining me on this empowering journey. Here's the best from episodes 27 to 39. Please do subscribe, rate and review the show and enjoy. And I think that is really a key when you fall down is, you know, you can only do one thing at a time. You can only think one thing at a time. You only put one foot in front of the other. And so because you can only do it in bite-sized pieces, it seems less ominous when something bad happens if you just take it piece by piece by piece and rebuild from where you left off. It's really interesting that you describe it that way because I kind of think of myself as someone who rarely has definable goals. It's more so that when an opportunity comes my way, that's when I'll latch on to it. But I rarely ever seek it out. And it's not something that I do on purpose. I guess it's just a function of who I am. So in my beginnings, for instance, I could never claim to have always wanted to work at NASA. It just wasn't something that was in my head, per se. Maybe because I wasn't around people who worked there. Um, My parents were not engineers. Um, No one in my extended family was an engineer. And it just seemed like something I knew about and I thought was cool in general, but not something that was at the forefront of my mind because it wasn't exactly real to me. But I will say that when I was younger, growing up, I just liked what I liked. So video games, that was a huge thing for me. My dad got me them, and I've been playing them ever since. And my mom, you know, she would introduce me to clothes. I would do fashion shows with my cousins. That would be so fun. And I would say that at an early age, I was just allowed to do whatever I liked to do. And that that makes a big difference for a kid to not be constricted to, you know, the pink aisle at Toys R Us. I was over there playing with the Pokemon, but also getting my Barbies. I could do both. And that was really liberating. I mean, back then I didn't even know it was happening, but because of that, it kind of reflected in schoolwork too. You know, I could really like to read and also like to do math. And it it worked out well for me. I feel like I'm a more well-rounded person because of it. I feel like I'm so much closer to all these things that used to be fairy tales that now I feel like I'll never be done having aspirations. I can't be because every time I come to a, a higher place, I'm introduced to something even cooler. Like before I met an astronaut, that meant that I could become an aerospace engineer at JPL. I'm being taught by someone who's actually been to space. But now I'm working here and I have coworkers who can tell me about the process of becoming an astronaut and what that was like being interviewed for the position. 
And now, you know, it, it means that it'd be kind of dumb for me to say that this is it for me. I've reached my goals. I just remember, you know, typical question when you're in a college town, going out to a bar or something like that. It's like, oh, where do you go? What are you majoring in? Uh, you know, and just saying, oh, physics. A lot of people literally would just turn around and walk. <laughs> so I'm like, cool. Like, don't get to know anything else about me, but all right, that's cool. Um, and so, so that was rough and it was frustrating. Oh gosh, what does having it all mean to me? Um, you know, that's difficult for me because I'm not sure how much I feel it applies to my situation. I am not a woman who wishes to have children and often having it all refers to being able to have a family with kids and a job. That's often how it's portrayed. So I've never had to think about how it applies to me or how I think about it or how I define it. As far as I'm concerned, I will have a job and I will have a personal life and hopefully I'll get to go on vacation sometimes. <laughs> Which if I think about it now that you're asking me, maybe is how some of our male counterparts think about it. Um, since traditionally child rearing wasn't on them. Um, but honestly, that that's something I'm going to have to think about. I like school because I like to learn. And it wasn't always about getting good grades and all of those things. But you know, sometimes when the pressure is mounting on you and you're not, and you just keep pushing it to the side, it can do some horrible things to your body. And so, I, yeah, I, I feel like I just wasn't taking care of myself in the way that I should have been. And I was, and it, and it got me to a weird, weird place in my life where I was suicidal for reasons like thinking that I didn't deserve the things that I was getting and that it was unfair that others couldn't be successful due to the conditions that they grew up in. And, you know, the more I just opened my eyes to life outside of, you know, high school silliness where people get bullied for the dumbest things, like, oh, your shoes don't cost more than $50, you're trash. I mean, you, you have kids growing up in that environment. It's so toxic. And when you finally open your eyes to how bad it can really be, and how like maybe that student doesn't have parents, how we had homeless kids at my school and how, you know, someone could have lost their mom or they could be going home every day to work to support their family. When you finally open your eyes up to that, it can be scary because you're basically opening your eyes to your own privilege. And, you know, it, it was just shocking. It was shocking how awful the world could be to people who already had nothing. Yeah, I remember when I was hired in, um, you know, I was told, oh, you got hired because you're female. And then the, the way they did the, the cost reports, you could tell how much I made because from one month to the next month, you could see what the jump in, in increase was on the salaries in my engineering department. And so then they figured out how much I made and they're like, oh, you got paid that because you're female. Every time I got a promotion, it was because I was female. So the older people, the older men were probably more intelligent and more discreet with their thoughts. But the ones that were my peers, they had no problems at all telling me that 
everything was because I was female. <laughs> oh, yeah. I Yes, I think that women can handle it. We are the ultimate um, oh, multitaskers. We are built for multitasking. And so being able to raise a family and, and do your job is, I, I don't think that there's anything that is holding somebody back because of, of kids or something. Maybe it'll take you a little bit longer. Maybe you wouldn't be able to spend as much time on something as you would have without kids, but I don't, I personally don't think that it would, it would change much. And in my opinion, through some of my friends, it has actually turned them into better students because of time management. So knowing that they have a finite amount of time to do something, a lot of times they get that stuff done because they have to. You know, it's so sad. I watched that movie, and when I tell you, I didn't even know. Like, I really had no idea. I didn't even bother to look up the history of how people like me came into NASA. And seeing it for the first time on the big screen like that, I cried. I mean, I was learning about women who made it possible for someone like me to even get an aerospace engineering degree, to just get the degree. Ah, so inspiring. Oh, there were so many moments where I just couldn't believe what had come before me. I look at it as I am a person and everyone is unique and we have different interests. I also understand that physically we are different. So, for example, if I go to a machine shop and if somebody asks me to saw a piece of steel, I can't do it as well. I mean, this is this is just biologically different. But I just think that everybody is different and that's why everybody works on a different area and that's why we can work together. And it actually goes back to whether we should put people in a box. I mean, why... Why? Because of me being a female, I should, I would have a certain interest. I mean, that is not the case. I mean, does it mean that my math will be worse? Therefore, I cannot do simulation. I mean, there are very good female, uh, you know, uh, mathematician or you know, computational analysts. There are female who work on engine and stuff like that. So, if we treat, or at least how I look at it, is we just treat ourselves as you know, unique, and we have different interests, basically. Yeah, and I think in education at the time, they were probably the first um, wave of people to do it. But being dean of a law school, that is a big job, and that had traditionally been a male job. And so I really looked, she was a mother and a great wife and a great community organizer, and she really was the whole package, as was Phyllis. And so those two people just really pushed me um, after that, I had the worst person I've ever worked for, who was a female attorney. Um, and on my first day, thinking that, okay, I've been working at this place for years, and now I finally get to be an associate attorney, she asked me to go get her dry cleaning to put me in my place. So I, you know, I had both ends of what I wanted in a leader and in what I wanted to become and what I didn't. And I sometimes think that the leaders you don't want to become are just as helpful, if not more helpful, than who you aspire to be. The support of a teacher is really important. With my teachers that I'm closer with or that are really supportive, I tend to participate more because I feel like 
there won't be as much judgment if I get something wrong, but then a teacher is more stark or kind of not as like, I'm not as close with or whatever. I won't speak as much, I guess, just because I don't, I feel like I don't have their full support. (laughs) Yeah. As scientists, you know, we're really good at looking for the facts. We're really good at, okay, this is the evidence. This is what the evidence leads us to. And I think sometimes when it comes to relationships, we turn that part of our brains off. I think um, I agree with you in that matter because I think about um, part of what I've done in STEM um, is be an instructor. And when I say be an instructor, not not teaching at you know at colleges, but teaching people who are, who are already working in the field, working in STEM, and working with advanced manufacturing. And one of the things that I've discovered, you know, 99% of my students um, in this situation of teaching of probably I'd say going actually over 10 years now, I started back in 2007, 99% of, of my students have been men. So when I go in as a woman of color, as the instructor, if I didn't have that spiritual foundation, I would basically be eaten alive and not necessarily by them, but by my own self doubt, right? because I'm going into this environment where it's all men and they're looking at me as being the expert. And I've certainly had a few challenges where, um, you know, men, you know, they have, you know, like you said, you come in with your own stuff and your own views. Um, and I never knew exactly what they were thinking, you know, at the time, some, I'm sure some had their doubts when they saw me, you're like, okay, what, you know, and then others were like, they didn't, they didn't, you know, add any thought to it at all. Okay. Well, she, she's an instructor. I've never been in a situation where I wasn't treated with respect. Now, Yes, I mean, you know, the issues they had were with each other. And uh, at some points, you know, they kind of, they didn't ever take it out on me. But I guess everyone, everyone who's listening, who's um, come from, well, who's a child of divorce will know that, you know, when parents get divorced, there's always some of it ends up affecting the child, whether they intend it to or not. So I think just me kind of speaking up and saying, hey, this is affecting me in this way. I think if you did it this other way, it wouldn't so much. Yes, absolutely. So I think, you know, that for me, a really good litmus test is how do I feel after a conversation with someone? Do I feel empowered, uplifted, excited, motivated? Or do I feel self-doubt, diminished, demeaned, you know? And if I really check in with myself, it's pretty clear, you know, the people that are healthy influences that I want to, you know, spend time with and learn from and uh, be mentored by and people that are, you know, more toxic or unhelpful, we could just say. So it's finding those real champions and spending time with them. No, I, I would definitely say I have a dependency on my husband. (laughs) I know that people talk about, you know, you shouldn't be codependent, but I, I don't know how you get through life without counting on at least one person. Um, but my husband has definitely been a big fan, a big supporter. Um, it did take him a while to talk him into letting me start over this, this most recent time and to, you know, do my own business and become an entrepreneur. Um, it took probably nine months for him to be like, okay. <laughs> But once he said, okay, you know, he was 110% behind me and, and he has been, he's, he's 
he's been phenomenal. Oh, I, I guess maybe I did. Thanks. Um, yeah, I also, you know, I wasn't even thinking of it in that way. I thought at the time, I want to make sure that my achievements are mine. I don't want to feel like I owe anything to anyone, partly so that then people can't hold things over me and say, oh, I got this. Um, yeah, and I just thought, I thought I'd have a much greater sense of fulfillment if I got something because I knew I'd worked hard towards it. So, you know, not through nepotism or, you know, through my parents pushing me. I just thought if it's, you know, through just me, then I'll just feel, it will feel a lot more rewarding. And then I thought, you know, I thought I'd be able to sort of help other people and inspire others more if I could kind of go into a school and do outreach and I could say, I did this myself and my background wasn't that different to yours. You know, I did come from, you know, not much money and, you know, not much, not many scientists around, but I managed it and so can you. You know, we we should run towards things that are are challenging for us because that's and and even a little uncomfortable because that's where I believe growth happens. You know, that's where we come up against our perhaps our own psychological kind of barriers that we've set and begin to poke holes in those barriers and really question core beliefs uh, that we hold about ourselves, what we're capable of, what we're not capable, you know, and really um, push through that. So I'm an advocate for things that are hard. Um, But at the same time, I believe in self-care and uh, getting a team together to support you when times get hard. So, you know, one of the the most challenging things I think is feeling isolated when you're going through a difficult uh, situation. And so I would encourage, you know, go to that all girls school, have your circle of girls that are all approaching this really hard math class together, you know, work collaboratively, um, have relationships with mentors that you can go to, to talk about your feelings, process what you're going through, you know, reap their support. Um, but, but don't shy away from the challenges, you know, march towards them, um, but with the help and support that you need. But at the end of the day, as logical as I am, I'm always going back to how something feels. If I meet somebody and all of the X's and O's might be lining up that I'm supposed to do business with this person, but in my gut something doesn't feel right, I follow my gut. No, mm -mm, no. I think sometimes uh, certain religions and certain certain, um, stories and things like that can exist in the same space. I find science very spiritual, like connecting yourself to the world and things that have lived millions of years before you. For me, that is very spiritual. I feel very connected to the earth around me, understanding its history um, and not thinking that it's a very young planet or flat planet or some other crazy ideas. What I see is crazy ideas, but understanding this long, beautiful, complex history of the earth definitely makes me feel more connected to my own planet. Just, just knowing that history. Yeah. In the past, like the reason I love math is because I've gotten like so much validation from teachers, like in the past, like, Oh, like you should keep this up. Like you should continue 
like doing math, like you're really good at it. And so like the validation from others also is like a big part of, I think, being confident in yourself in these fields. Yeah, I would. I think that first of all is to find your inner yes. Women just don't say yes. And, And I said it earlier in the program, but yes is such an important word for us because we're used to thinking, what don't I have? Why can't I do it? Can I do it well enough? Okay, there's 20 attributes I'm supposed to have and I only have 12 of them or I only have 18 of them and that's not enough, so I'm going to say no. Where men see an, an attribute list of 20 and they might have two and they say, oh yeah, I can do it. And so that's something that I really believe women need to change about ourselves. You know, we don't have to be everything because we're smart and we can learn. So that's the number one thing. I think the second thing is to learn to take care of yourself. It's something I still don't do well and I'm trying to learn. Um, so I tell everybody this. I was like, don't don't follow my steps because they're wrong. I know that they're not good. Um, but you really have to find a way to create balance so that you have time to think, so that you have time to exercise, so you have time to take care of yourself. Um, don't put off the, going to the doctor for three years because you're, quote unquote, too busy with work. Like those types of things are things that I still struggle with every day. And as a younger person, I think if you can build those into your routine and make them part of your daily life, then you don't have to get to a point where you realize, oh, I kind of messed this up and I better redo this. Or Because it's really hard when you're older to change your daily routine and the way that you think about things. Both me and my husband are 100% okay with that. So me, like me personally, that's that was just my personal choice is I, I don't really want to have kids or be a mom or deal with other people's bodily fluids or anything like that. No, that's just not my cup of tea. This is really personal, <laughs> but I think that this comes back to uh, early childhood parenting messages. You know, um, my my mother was, you know, she's an example of a professional woman with a master's degree who sacrificed her career entirely to move to a different country to uh, marry my father and have children um, in a very isolated area where she had no support system, no intellectual stimulation whatsoever. So she kind of had to rationalize her own, here I am psychoanalyzing my mother, but she had to rationalize her own career decisions and uh, find meaning in her own life. And, you know, she uh, definitely messaged to me from a young age um, that my main responsibility in life was to uh, take care of the feelings and bodies of other people um, and to put my own thoughts and feelings aside uh, in order to do that. So um, I, I received that message in numerous ways continuously from a very young age. 
But then once I got to college, I found some mentors, um, Joan Watt, who was the dean of my law school. She was amazing to me. There's another woman, Phyllis Needy, who was at um, University of Washington running the Career Services Center. And um, those two people really took me through the first 10 years of my um you know, from undergrad all the way through law school and stayed at my side and were not just references, but true pioneers in their fields, which gave me inspiration. And they told it like it was. There was never any candy coating anything. And when I messed up, they told me I messed up. And they taught me about having thick skin from a business perspective without losing your soft touch or your compassion or your femininity on the other side. That's it from this series of six compilation episodes from shows 27 to 39. Please do subscribe, rate and review the show and catch you this week as I kick off series two of Silence. Silence.